What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 475 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo, Combo Nation. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. We are here. We are here. We are here. Today's show, Ian Begley of SNY TV joins in. To grade the Knicks season, talk about Knicks offseason needs, Mello's retirement, and more. Just a fantastic conversation with Ian. You could catch Ian on SNY TV and on Twitter. You could find Ian at Ian Begley. That's I A N B E G L E Y. You could catch me on Instagram at 12 Combo. That's O N E. T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. SNYTV. Can you recall the last time we recorded a podcast? What year it was? I mean, I know the month would be a that'd be a hard ask, right? But what year do you yeah. think? Yeah, bro. I had two young kids. We had a pandemic. I, I can't tell you what happened a couple weeks ago, but I think I think it was 2020. Be my guess. 2018, July second. Oh. We were talking. Porzingis' current relationship with the New York Knicks, the David Fisdale hiring, and Kevin Knox. <laughs> oh, my God. That seems like 40 years ago. Time flies. Time flies. All right. Let's take it to current Knicks. Yeah. Um, how, how would you grade the season? Julius Randle, All-NBA. Brunson, superstar impact, in my opinion. Um, there were two games from the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they exceeded expectations, in my opinion. How would you grade it? I agree with you. I think they definitely exceeded expectations. And because of that, I would go as far to give them like a, a B plus, A minus, because nobody had them going where they went. Uh, they started off 10 and 13, and, and there was, I know, I can tell you there were a couple of losses away from significant changes in the organization, whether it was head coach Tom Thibodeau or the executive level. But Tom Thibodeau at that point goes to a nine-man rotation, made some tough decisions. Knicks take off, and they weathered some adversity over the course of that regular season. You know, did what they did, won 47 games, beat Cleveland handily in the first round. So I think you take all those factors together, and you take the idea, as you mentioned, Jalen Brunson playing like a star and the fact that you have him for at least the next three seasons, and I think you have to grade them uh, with a very strong grade for what happened on the court this year. I think there's a growing sentiment with Knicks fans that you could correct me if you feel that I'm wrong, that Julius Randle should be traded. I yeah. think his impact during the regular season has been immense. He's all NBA. And on top of that, with his playoff run, his trade value probably isn't very high right now. So I wouldn't trade Randle at this point. What are your thoughts? I'm with you. Look, if, if you're allowing me to be Leon Rose for a day, I'm not moving him unless – 
I can move them out and I can guarantee that from some, either somewhere on my roster or the players coming in, I'm going to be able to replace that 25, 10, and 4 that he gave you all year. And so, to me, it's a tough deal to make trading Julius Randle. I'm certainly not moving him for anything that might give me less production, again, whether it was whether it's the players on my roster or the players coming in. And I just don't see that deal unless it's a monster deal for another star player and Randall's in it. I, I just don't I don't see it. I don't see the dumping of Julius Randall happening, first of all. Second of all, uh, making a lot of sense at this point in time for the Knicks. What type of realistic moves do you see the Knicks making? Is there a realistic splashy move that they can make? You know, because there's a lot of guys who are unhappy where they are. Well, there's no superstars as of right now, but as Bobby Marks have said, there's guys that could become available. Um, is there anything realistic in your opinion? I mean, look, uh, it's, it's about guys kind of forcing the issue, right? It's about Carl Towns forcing the issue. It's about Joel Embiid forcing the issue, Damian Lillard forcing the issue and at least in Lillard's case I don't think anything is going to happen there until the Blazers make some moves and he sees where they are um but yeah I think it's it's more so on that player to make put pressure on his organization to trade him and then if you're the Knicks and you think it's a good fit you have the assets in place to be in those conversations you've got six of your own first rounders after this draft and you have four additional first rounders after this draft and you have some young players that in my mind uh, took a, a, a nice step forward this past season, whether it's Emmanuel quickly, Mitchell Robinson, Quentin Grimes. And I thought RJ Barrett had a strong postseason overall. So you have those young players, you have those picks to be in those conversations with the top player says, Hey, get me out of here. I want to go to either New York or Chicago or LA, whatever it is, you can be in those conversations. There was reports in the middle of the season that Tibbs actually told his friends that he thought he was going to get fired at one point. You know, some of the best coaches are now available. Do you think Tibbs' job is safe? I do, and I say that because I think it, Leon Rose had the green light. I know Leon Rose had the green light to make a decision on Tom Thibodeau uh, at least two years ago in the middle of the season, and I assume also this year, start of the season, and to my knowledge, Leon Rose never got close to making that decision, and he stuck with his guy. So I can't see any world where Leon Rose decides now to let go of Tom Thibodeau coming off of a successful season. We just All the reasons we just talked about, I mean, he was a major part of that. So I, I can't see it happening at this point. Lack of ball movement, lack of player movement, that's pretty obvious when you watch the Knicks play. Do you feel that's more a product of Tibbs coaching or the personnel? I think the personnel, maybe a mix of both, but I think the personnel because Jalen Brunson, he's, I don't, I don't know, pass first, shoot first, but I think he's, when he's looking for his, he can get it off the dribble and he's not going to, you know, he's not going to have the ball in his hands for 0.3 seconds and then get a shot up. He's going to make some moves and some misdirection, create some misdirection to get a shot off. So that in and of itself is going to lead to some isolation. Julius Randle, operates in isolation but I do think the Knicks this year for the most part did a good job when that second defender came to Randall or to a trap to Brunson but they did a pretty good job of finding the second side of the floor finding an open shooter in that scenario uh, more so than they had certainly the previous season so I think you give the players and you give Thibodeau credit there so a lot of the young players did take a step forward this season 
I think Obi Toppin is a guy that this situation didn't really benefit him or the team. Just that mix with him and Julius doesn't work for some reason. Yeah. What is his ideal role on this team? And do you think the Knicks will inevitably train him? I don't know if he has an ideal role on this team, given the current roster stru- roster structure with Julius Randle, all-NBA player, all-star, playing like 35, 36 minutes a night, I think. And so there's not there's just not that much left for Obi Toppin from a minute's perspective. And so he's kind of been relegated to a guy that getting 12, 15 minutes if Randall's healthy. And they're asking him to shoot threes from the corner, uh, shoot open threes, and and leak out and attack in transition. You know, the OB Toppin kind of fan club will say, why is he not being involved in pick and roll at all? He was so good in the pick and roll in college. Like, how is this not happening at this level? It just hasn't happened a lot for OB Toppin. You know, you saw it in flashes. I thought even during the postseason he took – Kevin Love is not uh, uh, at the top, at the beginning of his career. Obviously, he's a little slow-footed, but he took Kevin right. Love off the dribble pretty easily. So there, I think there are elements there that that the Knicks probably haven't uh, brought to bear regarding the trade. I mean, in my mind, it's got to be like, how do you say to yourself, "All right, we're going to commit X amount of dollars to Obi Toppin, uh, competitive salary, and then have him in that role?" So I, I know the Knicks. Other teams have talked to the Knicks about topping, including the Indiana Pacers talked to the Knicks about topping at the deadline. Nothing came to fruition there. I would assume teams keep calling and maybe something gets done unless the Knicks feel like they can get a team-friendly deal on topping or they're comfortable with waiting it out and having him go into restricted free agency the following summer. Offseason, one bold prediction. Hmm. My bold prediction will be that Julius Randle is—it's not even a bold prediction. That Julius Randle is a Nick on opening night of 2023-24. Wow, there can't be a trade for him where you bring somebody who's not an All NBA guy. This guy was an All NBA guy, and he's the reason why you got to the playoffs. A huge reason for it. Yeah, I, that's how I see it. I mean, I, everyone I've talked to that has been in touch with the Knicks said like they've, they've gotten no's like no no chance on Julius Randle at least prior to the trade deadline. Does something change? I mean, does he say like he'd like a change of scenery because of you know fan treatment, media treatment? That's different. Like if it's coming from him, I'm, I would assume the Knicks would do right by him, send him somewhere that he'd like to go. But I, with that, barring that situation and barring you know trading for a player who's head and shoulders above Julius Randle production-wise, I can't see it because those deals rarely happen. So that's why that would be my bold prediction right now. So, I mean, from my perspective, I feel the Knicks lack shooting, passing. I think some of it has to do with the offense, but is there an archetype of player that you think the Knicks need in this offseason to pick up? I mean, I think every NBA team needs a big wing uh, who can defend and who can create his own shot and shoot from the perimeter. Those guys, obviously, they're not they're not falling off trees, but that's, to me, the one area uh, where I would focus for the next. You mentioned shooting, Andrew. They just couldn't hit shots at points in that Miami series and that Cleveland series. And I think Quentin Grimes, with time, will be a more consistent shooter. Emmanuel Quickly, I think, will be more comfortable or, or productive, I should say. I don't know if he was uncomfortable, but productive in the playoffs from a shooting perspective. So I don't think they need like 
major, major shooting to overhaul the roster and bring in a bunch of shooters, but you need more shooting. And that's where I thought maybe Evan Fournier could have helped him in the playoffs, but he was so far out of the rotation that I don't even know if that was a consideration for Tom Thibodeau. But yeah, shooting, uh, big win. What do you see, Andrew? What do you see as their top need at the moment? A big win makes sense. I agree with you because when you play teams like the Heat, they obviously lost to the Heat, and you, you need somebody to guard Jimmy Butler. With the Celtics, they're not looking too good right now, but you're probably going to have to go past them at some point. You need guys to guard Tatum and Brown. And and even with um, the Bucks, like that's another team you're probably going to have to go through, and you need guys to guard Giannis. So you yeah. definitely need a bigger wing that could defend. And then you also want to add shooting. I do think the passing stuff is like, it's just a product of the way Tibbs runs offense. Like there's not a lot of player movement and there's not a lot of ball movement, but I do agree that Tibbs will be there. Yeah. I don't, I can't see him going anywhere. Did you see from your seat, any difference in this offense compared to past Tibbs offenses? I mean, he tried the triangle with the bulls and that was a little bit different, but it's just so stagnant, you know, it's just a lot of the only one who looks like they're actually running offense is actually Hartenstein. Like he looks like he's trying to set a screen, like he has the offense in their head, but nobody else is really running offense. Jalen Brunson is justifiable because he's that guy. He's going to go get you buckets, but the rest of the guys, there's no off ball actions, no off ball movement. The basketball is not swinging from side to side. It's kind of easy to guard and the heat. I mean, they just kind of benefited from them. They just loaded up. They walled up. And they didn't really have to work as hard as they should have on defense during that series. Yeah, they they, they definitely packed the paint, made it tough for Jalen Brunson. Nick's not able to hit shots. And, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting to see how things unfolded in the postseason. But I think, like, if you look at this thing, big picture, Andrew, in my opinion, and I, I've covered the team for a while. I've seen this franchise at a lot of low points. Um, so I'm comfortable like talking about the low points. I'm not just sugarcoating things here, but just from my perspective, the way they're set up with this foundation, they have options in terms of the trade market. I think they're in pretty good shape in terms of having something to build off of. Obviously you have to make the right moves. If your management, uh, from here on out, if you want to be you know, a perennial contender, which is what they want to be. But I think by and large, the steps that they've taken to get here, it wasn't a straight line. Some zigging, some zagging, some left turns along the way. But right now, I think they have a pretty good foundation to build off of. I'm just curious what you see uh, with this Nick roster as it is. Well, I think you got too many guys at that four position, right? And I think you could trade one of them for more wing depth or maybe, you know, another backup point guard. Uh, Obviously, Derek Rose won't be there for long. And... He'll be gone, obviously, from what we're hearing. So I think you do need a backup point guard. And just like you said, you need wing depth and shooting. Um, As I said before, the passing stuff is just like, I wish Tibbs could maybe make some kind of adjustments to the offense because I know he's a defensive-minded coach, but you just need more player movement. Mm -hmm. The the one thing I would say which surprised me was for a bunch of this season, they were top 10 offensive efficiency um a lot of that because of brunson right i feel like a lot of that i think they yeah it was brunson and it was randall hitting shots and it was you know uh, their shooters knocking down shots i think and they also they got to the line a lot and they were pretty good in not turning it over and also we're not we haven't even mentioned it yet the offensive rebounding was major for them mitch robinson isaiah hartenstein julius randall just creating a lot of second opportunities 
you're getting more shots than your opponent uh, and you're knocking them down. You're going to win most nights. So I think that was big for that Nick offense too. that, that offensive rebounding element. You alluded to the tough shot making of Julius Randle and uh, Brunson. I feel like in the playoffs now, and especially today, we see the teams that are successful have some kind of continuity and they have players that could make tough shots, but I don't think you could, could rely on tough shot making to win an NBA championship anymore. I agree with you. Yeah, the days of, well, you know, let's clear out a side and throw it to our top guy and have him go to work. And I don't see that as much in today's. I mean, you look at Denver and look at Miami. Miami, Jimmy Butler, the other night, I don't know how many shots he took. It wasn't many, but he got uh, Max Struess and he got Gabe Vincent going, and that was all they needed to win the game. So I agree with you. You need, obviously, multiple threats. And shooting, shooting so big in, in today's game. And I think that uh, the Knicks don't have, they're not close to having a, a full complement there. But I, again, I do think they have the pieces to at least put it together. It is a good time to be a Knicks fan. The thing is, is like, you know, the the Kings lost in the first round to the Warriors. And uh, the Knicks, two games from the Eastern Conference Finals, but you do feel more optimistic about the Kings' future than the Knicks' future because of the way they play basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally, totally uh, logical to me. I mean, that Kings team, the way they play, uh, they were fantastic in the postseason as well. And they they, they put a big scare uh, into the defending champs. That's a fun team to watch. And, you know, I, I, would, I would look at that roster and say, similar to the Knicks, like, you're not on the verge of losing any big piece in free agency. Your, your top guys are under contract for a while. So that benefits, I think, both teams. But certainly Sacramento uh, had a really, really good season. I think funny if they had, had struggled at all. You know, I think that ownership would have gotten impatient with management. But it didn't happen. And Monty McNair, I believe, won executive of the year this year. And he deserved it. So one of the greatest scorers in NBA history has retired, Ian, Carmelo Anthony. How should Carmelo be remembered by Knicks fans? No, I, I'm not going to tell fans what to think or how to feel. Just from <laughs> my seat, like, I think that he made the Knicks relevant, in a, again, in a way that they hadn't been in so long uh, before he got there. And you could say, like, yeah, Amari signing and then that team with Amari and Ray Felton and Landry Fields brought the Knicks back. But, you know, with Carmelo, I think it was just another level. They were a consistently uh, winning team, uh, winning games under Mike Woodson, D'Antoni prior to that. Obviously, things went sideways with Phil Jackson. But I think making the Knicks relevant is partially how it would be remembered, but also unfulfilled expectations because Carmelo's Knicks teams never got past the second round. So I think that has to be part of his Knicks legacy. And, uh, I think you, you play a game where you say, who was Carmelo's best teammate as a Nick? And it's an interesting question. I mean, J.R. Smith, probably Tyson Chandler, maybe Jason Kidd, maybe Amari Stoudemire. You know, he was off injured. So, you know, you answer that question and it leads you to think that Carmelo didn't have a ton of help in New York. I think that's part of his legacy here as well. It's fair. I mean, look, like, Part of this is luck. Like Michael Jordan had Scottie Pippen, Shaq and Kobe had each other. Obviously, they won championships outside of that. Uh, we look today, like Nikola Jokic, like he's part of a great organization that yeah. built around him in the right way. 
he might add, I'm the biggest Nikola Jokic guy. Like I thought he should have won MVP this year, but his career might not even look the same if he didn't have an organization that put the basketball in his hands and made him that point center. And then now his, you know, his counterpart who never made an all-star game, but he's an all-star level player is back. And we see what that could do. It it really depends on who you have with you. It's it, a lot of it. A lot of this is luck. Yeah, it's luck. It's fit. I mean, Jokic second round pick and <laughs> look where he is. So, Hey, I agree with you. And I think too, like it just seemed with Phil Jackson and Carmelo, they were never on the same page. There was not symmetry there. And whenever that's the case, you know, it's not going to work. And it didn't work with Carmelo and Phil. And I think you could point fingers each direction. But uh, I think that's one of the unfortunate parts of Carmelo's legacy. And certainly Phil Jackson is that it didn't work with those two kind of steering the ship in New York. Yeah, great stuff. It must be good for you, like, uh, just covering. You don't have to talk about, like, Phil Jackson stuff and Dolan, Charles Oakley stuff. Like, you can really talk about basketball. So these days must be fun for you, right? Hey, man, you better knock on wood somewhere because <laughs> it's always uh, – other shoe is always ready to drop. But, yeah, no, it's, I love just being able to talk about basketball, not talking about a coaching search, an executive search, or anything Jim Dolan related. Yeah, I, it, it's nice. It is nice. Ian, let's not wait five years for the next one. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media, everywhere else? Yeah, so at Ian Begley, I-A-N-B-E-G-L-E-Y on Twitter. Uh, we've got a, a weekly NBA show focused on the Knicks on SNY social media platforms, and that's called The Putback. So that's on SNY.TV. And then writing and other videos can be found on SNY. But Andrew, yeah, let's not. Let's not take this long of a hiatus next time. It can't hopefully, be 2008. It can't be 2000. I'll be mean 2028 for the next one. No, no. Look, hopefully I'm still around to, to make an appearance, but we certainly have to do it before then. And I look forward to it. You're always welcome back on the show, Ian. Keep up the great work and talk soon. Appreciate it, Andrew. Take care. There it was. Another episode of Combo's Court is in the books. Big shouts to Ian for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, appreciate you. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Share this episode. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. You could tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. And be on the lookout for episode 476. Combo, out. <laughs>